Welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of a life, the show of cheers, the show of wild turkey, Campari, growing up in a very liberal community and studying so many things about the world. Today's guest is the national brand ambassador for Campari, Miss Anne Louise Marquis. It was a great chat. She's recently in town talking about the Espalone cocktail fights, the behind the barrel program with Wild Turkey, and so much more. I even get to dive into a particular experience on Cheers. No, I was not on Cheers, but Wild Turkey being shared lovingly with Cliff Clavin on that fine 80s sitcom. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Anne Louise Marquis of Campari. Also, I feel like, unlike fine, it's a word we use to give ourselves a sense of importance or like communicate importance, I think, I think. And I feel like at this point, everyone's busy. Like we're all busy, especially like at this point in our lives, in our career, in our 30s. Ambitious, you're going to be busy. Right. right? We're going to be busy. Like there's just no way. And I feel like when I was younger, I would say busy because I was just, I was unused to that feeling. But now I'm very familiar with it. and (laughs) And now there's actually a new level of busy and I understand that most, especially when I'm talking to like working parents, mm-hmm. I just don't even, I go, things are great. Yeah. Because I'm not waking up at two in the morning with a vomiting kid. Or, I'm getting you some know, sleep and I, I know slept. you're not. I can see it on your face that I'm doing better than you. Whether I yeah. want to admit it or right. not. You know. Right. But so, okay. Yeah. Busy. So I'm extremely busy yeah. because my whole life is spent on the road. I spend this, the next three months is basically 95% of my time. Stone, right? Yeah, I'm on tour basically yeah. with with Campari America, and I'm I mean every pretty much every minute I'm I'm working doing or something. yeah I'm doing something like your I'm day occupied. doesn't end right because you have the social ends. piece too There's yeah my work yeah. and the face piece. my well yeah my job is my professional life is also my personal life there's yeah. just no. There's very little space, and the only real space is when I'm basically like when I go running or when I go to the gym or go to yoga. And even then, I'm sort of doing that so that I can do my job better. Yeah. So it and I factor that into my work hours that I require myself to exercise. <laughs> uh, no, I do too. Because <laughs> yeah, you have to. booze piece, you know, you're gonna you, quickly yeah. you'll be unhealthy. Yeah. But because of this whole thing, this like ecosystem, mm-hmm. this constellation of talent, this constellation of people that mm-hmm. are functioning. How how can you not be your job? I, I don't I think that's a great thing, but I also think that there's some parallels to that too. Yeah, like how can I not do my job or no, not no, be how my can job? You not be your job. Yeah, it's I'm always at work. Yeah. Like I'm always but part of it is that my job is a personality driven piece. I mean I'm I'm they hired me for who I am, mm-hmm. um, and for my skill set. So it comes very naturally to me. It's not I mean, there's definitely moments when I, I turn on my social stuff and then there's times when I definitely escape and hide and don't talk to anyone and, yeah. and I, you know, I'll go home for the weekend and just 
sit in my apartment or I'll go hiking. If I can be outside or be in nature and step away, it's really nice. Yeah. But I, I love what I do. So it's not like a burden. I really enjoy my, I actually like my job too much. Right. It's too, like, you're it's like, too wi- fun. You're willing to let it bleed into I don't, the, all those yeah, and I, yeah. And my boss keeps going, you keep doing too much. I'm like, no, I'm not doing enough. Like there's so much we can do because in so many ways, I just, I feel so lucky that I get to do this and get to be like, that this is my job is such an honor. Yeah. So I want to, I want to do as much as I can with it. So this drive, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things to talk about, especially prime 32, great age because you can do so many things. I don't. Think yeah. You, you don't have any kids. No, I don't. Right? No. Which is which is a great thing for some people. Bad yeah. boys, right? But this yeah, whole piece, I know there's this undercurrent of acting. There's this mm-hmm. undercurrent of LA. There's this undercurrent. Mm-hmm. Of there's a lot of different pieces, but this all starts out big sir is that where you grew up in california yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so i grew up um i was born in new jersey, jersey. so I'm a, I'm a third generation new jersey no girl kidding. Oh, yeah yeah um in cape may but then we moved to california um when i was three years old yeah. um and my parents were very kind of my mom I, I mean how interesting this is but my mom was like a lawyer yeah lawyer lawyer straight laced, straight laced. loved loves never met a sale she didn't like you know like <laughs> She's very straight. And then my dad is this very sort of, he was the first generation of the new age movement and this counterculture. And my grandfather was an experimental psychiatrist and my dad grew up in some weird situations. That's crazy. And my dad is really, my dad's really uh, brilliant, but unconventionally so. So my dad can build anything he can he's a healer he's a master like he knows all the plants he's incredibly he's so smart um but not a like he dropped out of middle school right he's a man of the world instead of academia right right and he's not an intellectual right it's like it's not it's he didn't ever fit into like a social structure and so we moved when they had me they um in a really sweet way decided where's the best place to raise her where's the best place to do this and they um happened my aunt had moved out to california when i was when, before I was born, and invited us to move out and live near her. And so we moved to Esalen Institute, which is a, um, it's essentially like an educational retreat center, is oh, how we wow. would think about it. It's not yeah. a commune. Yeah, I don't know um, how to classify it. It's hard to classify, right? So it's not a commune. It's like a, um, it's an educational personal growth retreat center. So there's an element of communal living and intentional living, okay. but it's very much a school and a center. So it's a place that it was basically the heart of the human potential movement and this, 70s and 80s, which was wow. this idea that that drove modern psychotherapy, um, art therapy, dance therapy, massage in the U.S. Yeah, um, it's where did that? What uh, part of the states did that kind of in, start? It's in California. No, it, so this it started at itself, Esalen. It's oh. like it came out of. Oh, it was amazing. all these thinkers that were kind of in the Bay Area, and they were yeah. all going to University of the Pacific, and it was like Alan Watts and Michael Murphy, and yeah. um, and my grandfather was friends with all of them. My grandfather went east and started his own thing, and these guys went west and started oh. Esalen Institute, and so. They so they so my dad was sort of the the first generation like son of that and so then then they raised me at the center um, with all the other kids so we all like all we all all our parents were like massage therapists and right. like nature hike leaders and workshop leaders how and therapists does, and how does a lawyer adapt to right. such a living so my mom yeah. was like so my mom I mean I'm an only child essentially and my mom's only child my mom was so my mom had me a little bit late and mm. was just basically said I just want to give her the best life I can give her yeah. um, and my I love my mom told me this a few years ago she said we wanted to move somewhere 
where your body would be raised. It's basically like a discussion of terroir. Sure. And I talk about yeah. this all the time, but like, she's like, we wanted the terroir to be good. Like we wanted you to grow up somewhere where there wouldn't be chemicals in your body. That, wow. that So basically for your next generation wouldn't be affected by, at the time there was a lot of fear around like stuff in the water yeah, and yeah. how, you know, it was right when like autism was kind of becoming aware of it and, mm. and what was causing it and they didn't know and they wanted to live somewhere very natural so that my body would be natural to have wow kids. relatively selfless endeavor then incredibly to get up and move for you unless you've been oh. to big sur and then uh <laughs> <laughs> it's the most beautiful place in the world yeah. and eslin is so spectacular and it's perched on this cliff on the on the pacific ocean an hour from any town mm. um and it has natural hot springs oh, so there's man. these incredible beautiful natural hot springs there's organic food that grows in the garden there's three meals a day there's a preschool on site so growing up there was like Shangri-La like we had so much fun that's amazing and it was just it was just like they just let the kids go wild and of course because it's like an experimental place mm -hmm. the school is experimental too so it was very like let the children do what they want let the children eat what they want let yeah. the children explore let them whatever and the only rules were there was no hitting and there was no helping no helping what would exactly be so like if you can get up mm -hmm. you can get down got it okay if you can so they were raising independent free this it's all it's all theory right like none sure. of it we don't know and some of us turned out great and my friend has a dual degree from berkeley and she's uh -huh. getting her master's in business <laughs> and she's incredibly successful and then there's kids that are totally lost and didn't because it didn't give them enough parameter right it's parenting too yeah. it's like the school can only do so much and the school is really special but then your parents have to also help yeah guide you Does, oh man is it one of the everybody loves everybody almost literally kind of things or is it more uh, cerebral than that it's not a physical kind of connection uh i joke that i grew up in one long contact like contact improv jam <laughs> like my whole childhood was just like a lot of touching which is hard you know it's it as i grew up it was harder because i people equate touching with like intimacy sure, later in sure. life and they don't take it as just like affection like yeah. innocent affection positive reinforcement yeah so i can be a little touchy feely and i get in trouble for that but um not as much anymore when i was younger um so definitely there's like an intellectual side to it, but I think a lot of it was all about actually listening to your body and yeah. being present in your body and trusting your intuition and sh talking about your feelings and talking about like, even as a preschooler, we were doing gestalt therapy. So oh we were gosh. doing like, that's amazing. When you say that I feel, yeah. you know, when you do that, that, you know, I'm noticing in my body that I feel, you know, like yeah. as a four year old activating. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. that's how my, my mom grew up in San Francisco, single yeah. mom for a long time. Yep. I don't talk about stuff. She will just get on me. She's like, "There's yeah. something bothering you." Like, no, I'm right. Like, nope, mm -mm. I can tell. <laughs> tell me what's going mm -hmm. on. And you know, I guess in all fairness, this is probably one of those avenues in which yeah. I do the, th <laughs> the same thing. Thanks, mom. I pass it now down to every guest. But the thing is, is like because you have so much freedom, and there are no limits really, because oh, you there were no boundaries, no boundaries whatsoever. Ooh. How do you begin to start to assemble? paradigm a perspective on who you are and what you want to do as mm -hmm. you get older well i think as a so I, there was a couple of things one as a kid that were really important to me one as a kid there was no limit on what i could do mm. it's like you can do anything you want you can go anywhere you want you can travel the world i want they were, you know my dad always tell me stories about going to see different places in the world and um or if i wanted to make something i would um let's make it we would build it we would there was just never like a there's never like a box of like, oh, we can't do that. It was like, if you want to build a house, we'll build a house. And we yeah. build it out of trees and I mean, like sticks and dirt and whatever. It was just incredibly creative. Um, 
And then the second part was that all through preschool to high school, like, mm. and in just at the edge of college, there was never a sense that I couldn't do something because I was a girl. That's great. Like my gender never, and I talked about, I've talked about my friends. I said, you guys, did anyone at any point tell us that we could, that girls do this or boys do this? And it was like, nope. We could just do whatever we wanted because we were people. Yeah. Um, so that it's almost like, was really special. It almost doesn't feel that way now. I mean, honestly, it doesn't necessarily feel like that. I feel so lucky. And so I just always felt sort of like this wild, you know, like almost semi-feral. Yeah. I mean, the photos of me would back that up, like just hair everywhere. <laughs> my parent, my mom used to hose us off at the end of the oh, day. Oh, that's amazing. You um, all been to county, boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so out of that, I think I really, we were just all encouraged to do whatever we wanted. So yeah. some of us got really into art and some of us got really into science. And I just always loved performing. Since yeah. I was a little kid, I would put on shows and put on plays and it was never like, oh, you can't do that. It was like, sure, here, here's here's how we're going to do it. Here's how Here's the skill set. And Here's, you know, here, we'll make a stage right here. And the community was very supportive too. Yeah. So the community would all, you know, because there's nothing else to do. So what, what was something at that point? Cause I, think, I think of Thriller for me. Oh. Right. But what was something for you that like, I, I really like this guy or this girl. This is really inspiring me musically or. I'm trying to think. Cinematically. We didn't have pop culture. Oh. So this is something that's a little funny. So I, my friends make fun of me because I, like in college, I heard the Counting Crows for the first time. <gasps> And I was like, this is really good. And they sort of looked at me and they were like, you know, I didn't hear the Beatles till I was in high school. Wow. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't like I was guarded from it. It's no. just that my, my dad listened to Bob Marley. Yeah. My aunt listened to like world rhythms. I drew, I grew up with a drum circle almost every night. Like there Man. was, I grew up dancing with Baba Tunde Olatunji, who was yeah. one of like the first people to bring African culture to the U.S. and African music and dance. So I grew up doing like very kind of world art. Yeah. Um, wow. But then my friends would sort of get like the Beach Boys or Gloria Estevan or those things and they would sort of filter in. Um, but my connection was musical theater. I was Amazing. obsessed with movie musicals. So, oh, please. Um, yeah, give me a couple. Okay, I love okay. this stuff. So, um, okay, well, where to start? So I think The King and I. Oh, yeah. So all the Rogers Hammerstein. So King and I, Sound of Music. South Pacific, right? South Pacific a little bit. South Pacific is actually a little edgy. For it's a dark. Kid. It's yeah. dark. There's race relations. There's a lot of like sex and stuff. And so yeah. we didn't do that. So, But um, Hello, Dolly. Oh, yeah. Um, West Side Story was probably like an Annie. Annie. Annie, of course. Um, so I grew up watching those. Like that was really the thing. I mean... Influence me, it still does. I still, That's incredible. Yeah, so it's all movie musicals. Did you, all right, so did thing. you like La La Land? It was it's I, different. It's it not was necessarily. fine. I thought, I thought it was really sweet. I don't think it was the best movie of the year. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't. Well, it wasn't. Actually, it, it wasn't. Yeah. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> um, I think that sometimes you see a piece of work and you see that they had a lot of really fun ideas. Yeah. And then they try and like push all the ideas together. And it's not necessarily cohesive. I see. And I, I mean, I hope, you know, if you're listening to this, La La Land, I, you know, I thought it was great, but I, <laughs> I'm it, a huge fan, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. massive. For sure. um, and I love the soundtrack and I listened to it in the car and I danced around to it when it first came out. Um, but it was, and I also actually loved that it wasn't like a sweeping epic and I love that they don't get back together. I had yeah. just been through a breakup right when it happened. So I was like very, like very touched by that story of people having it not quite work out. Yeah. Um, that is the, that man, that breaks my heart every time. Just, just out of grass. Yeah. Yeah. Just almost, but not quite. Yeah. So, oh, it was fine. I mean, 
modern musicals like Moulin Rouge. Like I love everything Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. Um, like there's another musical in recent memory that was really fun i'll think of it yeah there's all the like there's chicago the film which is right all, and those are really fun yeah. and, but just yeah the new like a new musical that's not a play that gets that yeah it's harder it's but it's different time we're past that period in a sense like that classic cinema age is something i still kind of people still try and bring it back they we'll, do, we'll yeah. get another we'll get more like yeah. more good ones will happen it's like yeah. back yeah so that makes sense all right so you okay. you like to sing that piece of it no, or I'm more terrible. terrible I'm at terrible at singing. Like, don't. It's so terrible. And all through, oh, it was terrible. So, but I just loved, like, the costumes and the storytelling and yeah. the emotion. and The, the vibrance. It's just. Oh, my God. It's yeah. so fun. And everyone just looks like they're having so much fun. Yeah. And so I auditioned for a play when I was in fourth grade. And I got a musical. I got in. And so my parents would drive me. It was an hour. And at, like, hour 15 wow. to get to the rehearsals. But they would drive me. It was amazing. Um. And I started doing like local plays yeah. and I would take drama classes every summer. And then um, when I got to high school, when I was middle school, we would do the plays and then I got to high school and things got like more kind of focused. Right. And, I would, and I joined a conservatory. And so we'd have like, so we had like high school drama and high school drama. <laughs> and then we had like, oh, yes. we had this like separate <laughs> intensive conservatory that a bunch of us were part of that we're all, we're all still best friends. Yeah. We've been in it. Um, and we grew up and we, grew up training with each other um but the one of the tenets of that program and i'm talking about this because it leads directly to my job now is this idea of poor theater so it comes um grotowski and, and this the school of theater i was in was very physically based okay so it was it was very i'm a terrible dancer mm -hmm. but i'm a really good mover i see so i learned how to like move so i can do lifts and throws and jumps and and cannot like kinesthetically yeah, we were yeah. very in tune with each other but i can't like do a pirouette yeah, it's I mean. a disaster um, that's a great word for it disaster, yeah, disaster, disaster. <laughs> and they would tell me they were like you're so graceful yet you're tech you have no technique how did oh, that I got all nothing. right because well, my parents wouldn't send me to dance class because they were body workers and they said you shouldn't do ballet because it messes up your body yeah and so they wouldn't let me do gymnastics because it would it unless someone's really attuned you can really hurt yourself sure. as a as a small and you form and so your body's form. yeah absolutely you can mess things up they're like you can do african dance and yoga that's what you're allowed to do all right. Yeah, fine. Mom. Sure. Great. So the program I was in was, it, the idea was, it's called, the book is called Towards the Poor Theater. It's basically just like, the, and the idea that we kind of came out of it and was very cool in my community was just let the kids do what they want yeah. and you can do anything with no money. Um, so as I moved into these jobs that I've had ever since then, it's, you know, it's been low budget, but you can do so much with storytelling and you mm -hmm. can do so much with just simple things that are very impactful. Um, and that's where that started. I remember I did a, a GSM, like a general sales meeting, uh -huh. and I took a friend of mine just to help me. And she's like, how do you know how to do this? <laughs> I was like, none of this comes from bartending. All of this comes from my theater training. That's so incredible. All of it, because it's like, how do you make something just happen? Like, how right. do you, I got, okay, you got this, you got cup, you got it. Okay, we're going to pull these things. We're going to borrow that. Sorry, we'll be right back. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, almost uh, like stage management. Da, 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 right? da. Joe, it's producing. Yeah. And that's and that's when I, as I was going through college and, and um, after college, I was a performer and really what I wanted to do was make stuff. I wanted to make work and, mm. and I wanted to be a director, but as a 22 year old, it's really hard, yeah. especially as a 22 year old female, like that's where that oh, gender okay. thing really came in. And I looked young and um, it was, and I had young ideas. I had like, you know, I was young sure. and uh, it was really challenging and it was really hard to find a, a, a place to put my voice. And so I realized once I got out of school that the thing I really loved about being a perform was, being in school 
and taking class. I really loved class. Yeah. Wait, so th this is yeah. interesting. Okay. So the yeah. California piece is a yes. massive chapter, very formative. Right. And then, of course, Obviously, you returned yeah. to L.A., I think probably for the acting piece right, and director. Right, exactly. Piece. But you do some international stuff. You yeah, yeah. major so, in international okay. studies in Connecticut. So, yeah. Right? So like Bleeding Heart Liberal yeah. wanted to, at 17, um, wanted to, I knew I wanted to do theater and I knew I wanted to be a performer and make art, right? That was mm -hmm. what I knew. And so I figured, and I, and I had had such an intense schooling in high school that I figured, and I knew that that would continue. Mm. Um, I figured I would go to school or something more academically rigorous rather than technique. I would and I would learn about the things that I wanted to talk about. Interesting. That was my sort of perspective. Yeah. Um, because I wanted to learn more. I wasn't done and I wasn't ready to go into a BFA program and be a BFA, be an actor yeah. program. Um, so I looked at a bunch of schools and Trinity in Hartford, Connecticut has a international rights studies program, like a human oh, rights yeah, program. Yeah. Um, and that was really interesting to me, especially at 17, when I don't know what that means, right? right? Um, which you realize it's like a lot of policy and a lot of like really boring meetings and yes. other things. Yes, However, a lot of that. It impacts of, people's lives. It very much right? impacts people's lives, but it was also like very intense and heartbreaking yeah, and yeah. The atrocities. gory yeah, and right. very sad. And um, so I was really intrigued by that. And so I applied to Trinity. I got an early acceptance. I remember I stepped on the campus and said, this is where I'm going. We went and looked at a bunch of colleges and I was like, this is it. This is my school. Oddly, because I'm in no way a cultural fit. Yeah. In any way. What, why? Is it more straight-laced? I mean, oh you said it's Oh, my God. It okay, is. Okay, so I thought liberal arts... Because I'm 17 of California. I thought liberal arts meant, like, liberal. Right. No. It's instead of a everyone, classification. Instead of a classification <laughs> of the same, right? Because I don't know. I'm yeah. young. And, and so I um, think... <laughs> so I, I get there, and it's like... It's everyone, well, okay, Trinity, I, I love you in a lot of ways, but culturally, <laughs> it's, it's very East Coast, it's yeah. very pop collar, it's very J. Crew. Mm. there's like this unofficial uniform that I don't understand. It's like, very yachty. It's, it's very bougie, waspy New England. It's people <laughs> that, you know, all went to like New England boarding schools yeah. and then like feed into these New England colleges. Right. And culturally, it's a lot of people who are going to go on and become lawyers bankers, consultants for big companies. Stuff that doesn't seem in line with what you're trying to pursue here. In any way, shape, or form. Yeah. But it was a really, like, quote-unquote good school, and it was um, the, th what I liked about it was that the theater and dance department was connected. So a lot of schools have, like, a dance department and a theater department, and they're not right. integrated. And I, since I was such a mover, I wanted to find a, a school where I could take theater classes that were also very experimental and, and movement-based in addition to all whatever. So yeah. as I'm doing this theater thing, I actually don't like the theater classes very much, and I end up deciding to major in international studies because it's the most open degree, because it's study, right? It's not relations, it's right, study. Right. So I could take all the different classes and then like put them all together, and all I'd ever wanted since I was a little kid was to, to be a performer and, and see the world. That's what I wanted. And so I, I decided that I would do Southeast, uh, I would do Asia as my focus. Mm. Um, Which area of Asia? So I focused on India, oh. um, and I so I went tying to, it back at all the yeah kind of spirituality. All of, all of it. Yeah. My mom, when I came home with my books, my second semester, my mom was like, "Aloys, <laughs> we could have saved so much money. You could have stayed home. You could have taken all these classes at Esalen. Yeah. All of this, it's like Buddhism, Hinduism, like all this all." But I was also like seeking out my roots and seeking out to understand where I came from, and yeah. um, and so it all it all kind of fit together, and. 
and I, you know, I ended up writing like in my senior year, writing this whole paper about like how Esalen influenced Chinese medicine. And it, it was cool. Wow, or like yeah. I had in a class, the teacher handed out this, this, you know, whatever photocopy of a book. And I was like, I know this guy. Yeah, that's he wrote a- this, he wrote this in my house. I can know him and she just, you know. Wow. So it yeah. all ended up like tying together because I think we're all so fascinated with where we come from and wanting to understand it. Of course. Fully. So Introspection, I, man. Yeah, yeah. And just, and also I think when you're a kid, you don't fully, I did not understand what was going on. Like I did not understand that people were doing very intense personal work and yeah. very like you, as a kid, you just walk, you're walking around and you see like, you just hear someone like primal screaming in a workshop room and you don't, you're like, that's just, that's just what it sounds like here. That's just what people do, you that, know? I, I like that, though. Because, you know, so if, if, if you look at the, the Maslow, the hierarchy, right? Self-actualization yeah, yeah, yeah. is the last piece because it takes so long to arrive at. And right. it takes years of introspection, deep thinking, trying to understand your essence and your purpose in this right, world, right? Right, right? You got that out of the way really, <laughs> really young. So, yeah, so well, now, I didn't get it out of the way, but I understood oh, that there's a, it's a journey. Yeah. I understood that it's a process. So, like... And that everything's a process. It's called process. That's right. But so, and this is, I'm very Mm -hmm. curious about this. Mm -hmm. In touch with your emotions, I think that's fair to say. Probably in touch with nature. I'm more in touch with my emotions than the average person. Precisely, It's always a journey. Like, it's always a process, too. And there's always moments where I go, what am I feeling? Why do I feel this way? Like, but I can also have that conversation. That's. And I went to school with people who couldn't have that conversation. Totally. So, the question is, so you're in this very visible and mm-hmm. socialized role. Right. There's pictures. There's pictures everywhere. There's your narrative. <laughs> yeah. Is it ever... So, for for instance, Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins. There was a moment... This will Is go that a band? Is that yeah, a band? Is that yeah, a, yeah absolutely cool. Band. Okay, I don't know. Big, big band. He, <laughs> massive band in the 90s, actually. Yeah. He, he made a choice. He said, mm-hmm. you know what? I put out three records. Mm-hmm. I have opened myself up too much via my lyrics. Yeah. From this point forward, I'm reeling it back in. He mm-hmm. felt too exposed. So, you being so in touch with these things mm-hmm. naturally so mm-hmm. do you think there's a line for you where it becomes too personal because you are your job in a sense you're in touch with this stuff do you ever get afraid you're putting too much out there um i one i don't think i'm that special like i don't <laughs> think i'm that po- like i honestly don't think i'm that popular or that cool so that's the first part is like i don't think i'm that important or anyone really cares sure that's my first part is like i'm not that important but the other thing that's really cool, it's sort of the opposite of what you're saying, is like the, I'm finding that the more I open up and the more honest and present and like sharing of the messiness and mm. the on, like being really honest about losing weight or, yeah. or the little I've talked about my breakup or um, heartbreak or how challenging it can be times to, or like, finding solutions and sharing those solutions, the more I connect with people mm-hmm. in a way that I want to connect with people. I don't really want to get wasted at a bar with someone. But it's not I would, real. It's not real to me and it's not real connection. And I would rather connect to people about the stuff that really matters mm-hmm. and be a useful um, like ally in that way. Um, versus, you know, I think there's a lot of brand investors who are great at going out and having drinks and, and being the life of the party. I don't actually think that's, I, that's not necessarily my skill set. Yeah. But I am, I am good at, at connecting with people. And to me, the more open I am, the better I am at doing that. Sometimes it gets to be too much. Sometimes I'm somewhere and it's just like overwhelming and there's a lot of people in a room. And there's these moments where, because I'll speak to a room of 100 people, mm. so everyone knows who I am. 
but I don't know who anybody is yeah. or I don't remember their name or something. Um, so sometimes it gets overwhelming, but I'm finding now I'm sort of at this place where I've been in my role for six months. It's a little bit more visible than it had been in the past. Um, I'm engaging with more people. I'm national. It's, you know, it's a bigger thing. Um, it was so sweet. I posted this stupid Facebook Live video about my breakfast. Uh-huh. And then this woman came up to me yesterday and was like, I, I saw your video and now I'm, gonna, I'm doing the same thing. That's amazing. And it was so cool yeah. to, see, to see that it's, it was a, a positive thing I shared about my life and it was sweet that, it, that someone saw it and adopted it and is enjoying it and yeah. is having a, you know, a better experience because of it. You have a, I think you understand the duality and the double-edged sword of being so visible and yeah. that responsibility. Yes. You're, you know, <laughs> yes. So, so that's the thing is yeah. like, I think you're very cognizant of the fact that you mm-hmm. can't, got to do stuff in the right way because people probably are looking up to you. Well, people are watching and I don't see them looking up to me. I just see them looking at me and that, like if, <laughs> and you know, if they're going to look at me, I may as well be sharing the good stuff yeah. and the help, like, the healthy choices, the best, the best cocktail recipes, the positive, like the all the love, like let's share the love. Yeah. Um, that's really has been mine since day one, and more and more as this job gets more and more visible, um, that's really the like my message and my message to my team too when I'm working with my team. That's amazing. Like, how do we make people's lives better? That's because we have a budget yeah. and we can do that, you when know? You get, so like it doesn't hurt. You have great products. Right? And we have great products, you know? <laughs> it's like so It would hurt. It'd be a little more difficult <laughs> otherwise. And I mean it extends into the brands is like how do we how do we use these brands to make people's lives better? Whether that means like giving them the best staff training we can give them so they can make more money on yeah. tips or giving them an experience that will improve their life somehow, whether it'll make them more knowledgeable about products or whether it will shape what they do next in their career, whatever it is. Like we're looking for how do we how do we make things better? Right, and it's this makes sense this narrative mm-hmm. now. So mm-hmm. you're coming from this place, right? Ultimately ending up in LA because that's of course the epicenter of right. creative entertainment right. industry itself. Having being a 22 year old who has had experiences probably greater and more insightful than most 22 year olds, if not most 32 year olds. Maybe right? I have my moments. Yeah, also but, done a lot of therapy. I just- <laughs> How is it? How is it? Okay. All right. I got to ask you. I've been thinking about this too for me. Yeah. 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 Pretty self effacing. I like talking to people. I don't Mm -hmm. mind exposing myself to a degree. Yeah. And I'm always honest. It seems like we kind of share those things. In therapy, still Mm -hmm. something worth pursuing, you think? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I miss it. I'm going to miss it right now. Yeah. I, you know, I think that this, the very common thing that's said about therapy is like, I go to the gym every day to work out my body why wouldn't I go to talk to someone once a week about, you know, and work out my feelings and my, our emotional lives are so intense and real and important Mm. and um, always open to improvement. And there's just so much work to do. Yeah. Always. So like people, I say, I always write, I'm like, what if you go to therapy and people are like, no, I don't want to go to therapy. I'm like, it's not because something's wrong with you. I know. There's nothing wrong with you. It's, it's, it's preventative maintenance in effect. It's great. Or like, I almost like when I start, like, I just want, when couples start dating, I'm like, you should go to therapy now. You should work through your goals together now and talk about what you want so you can work on it. Like all this guessing and, or when people start a business partnership, I go, you guys, before you start this business, you should go to counseling. You should set up and be really, have a space to be really honest and clear yeah. um, because I think it's really hard for people to be 
open it. I mean, it's hard You're for totally me. Right. Yeah. If it's hard for you, then it's, it's going to be really, really tough right. for other people. Right. And I notice I have these conversations with people and they go, I've never had a conversation like that with them. No one's ever asked me what I wanted. Right. Well, you don't ask yourself. Come on. What do you want? Yeah. Where are you going? What do you but want? But sometimes it takes that person, <laughs> the person yes. to, in a sense, inspire and mm-hmm. empower them to yes. be able to bring those things to the forefront. Career-wise, which yeah. what you're out there doing, yeah. say via training. So we'll talk about this role now with mm-hmm. Campari and my Wild Turkey. One of the you know one the of the greatest, greatest things. Of all time. Yeah. Wait, I want to share one yeah. thing about Wild Turkey. Okay, tell me. So I've been going back and watching Cheers from the beginning. The, the best. The I actually best. need to do that too. It's oh so my god. Good. Yeah. It's still great. Once so, yeah. Woody Harrelson enters the show, probably some of the best comedy ever written, easily. <sighs> and I remember good. watching it when I was a kid with my mom yeah. and stuff. Right. So Cliff Clavin, everybody knows Cliff mm-hmm. Clavin, the lovable, befuddled. Mailman. Mailman. So, that's right. His mom has never, he's in his 30s at this point. His mom's never had that birds and the bees talk with him. And she's like, oh, Clifford, in that kind of interesting accent she has. And they're both sitting at the bar. She says, Cliff, I'm going to tell you about the birds and the bees. Wild turkey, Woody. And so they bring a wild (laughs) wild turkey by name. It's on the bar top. It's the bird. Yeah. And they're working through this whole thing together, drinking a bottle of wild turkey. And so, she, she takes a sip of it and she's an older lady, mm-hmm. you know, this is mom. They start talking, she's like, oh, Clifford. And she pours like two shots and just keeps down. I'm like, wild turkey has been here forever. It's been a piece oh, of wild our turkey? social construct. It absolutely is part of it. I it's I love our brand so much and we're, I'm so, so lucky to work on them. Um, but I, I, and I love them all for different reasons. And, and one of the things I love about Grand Marnier, it's also a thing I love about Wild Turkey, is that it's intergenerational. Yeah. So it's something that people, once they're 21, sh- responsibly share with their family. So yes. it's something that goes back along, has lineage and has history. They're not, new brands are really fun to work on. And, and I'm, I'm sure, I've never worked on one. Um, but actually, that's not true. I worked on Pisco. Um, but when you have like these, these people have an emotional, sometimes it's a problem. Sometimes it's like, I drank a lot of that. Right, right. I drank that in college and they have sort of a, a pushing away of it because they're just missing it because they know it so well. But if you can get, if you can remind people and tap into that emotional core of it, there's so, there's so much love for these brands. Yeah. There's actual yeah. earnest love. Love, like deep love. Yeah. Like, and so interesting to watch people connect because I remember I have to always remember how I felt when I was a bartender how I felt about brands before I worked on them because now it's very different and now sure. I'm in marketing and I see brands a little differently but um when I was a bartender to to be to be touch a brand was very meaningful and to meet someone who worked for the brand was very meaningful and mm-hmm. very cool and um so to get to work on something like Wild Turkey where we have Master Distiller we have the oldest Jimmy's the longest tenured or something he's He's up there. Yeah. He's the longest tenured working master distiller in history. That's amazing. So he's been doing this for over 60 years. Um, and then his son and then his son's son is now um, like is all part of the business too. So when you have an opportunity to work on a brand like that with such family history, it's so special. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible so thing. Yeah. Oh, I mean, so this, this, so this all makes sense then that ultimately mm-hmm. your love of coordinating things People, yeah, like experience yeah. and work, like working with people, sharing with people, lots of sharing. My acting teacher used to be like, why are you sharing so much? I'm like, I love sharing. I grew up in this preschool where everything goes on sharing. So like sharing and communicating and, and hosting, um, creating experiences for people yeah. um, that, are, that are heartfelt. And I hate this word authentic mm. because I feel like it's overused now. 
but Maybe. like I don't but, know. Well, that's I a mean, good. That's a good question, actually. I think that the word authentic has been co-opted to, to a point where now it's it's not the same. Everyone's using it, so now yeah. we use thoughtful. So thoughtful is the new authentic. Got it. Got it. Makes some sense. Um, so where we can be thoughtful and make things, I think people, especially in my age group, are like things that are personalized. Yeah. Um, so finding ways to be connected to people um, all comes out of that. Um, do you want me to talk about my bartending just real quick? Yeah, please. Is that it, yeah, I feel well, like I'm we're just... like, we got to LA. I finished college. I moved to Santa Cruz for a year to raise to save money because yeah. I'm going to move to LA to be an actress. And um, also like, what? Chutzpah. You're like, this is what I'm doing. And everyone in my life was not like, surprised. go for it, yeah, go for it, surprised. do it. And uh, so I, I decided to get a job and I, um, like Trinity College graduate, like I could go do a lot of things. Sure. But I decided to walk around downtown Santa Cruz with my resumes and get a restaurant job because I figure if I want to be a performer, I'm going to have to learn how to work in restaurants. Mm. And I'd been working in restaurants since I was 18, but I'd never been a bartender or a server. I'd been like, I've done everything. I've been a hostess, I've been a busser. I've been, right. There's moments when, like I've worked every part of, front of house all of it i've been a barista i've cleaned i've mopped the floors yeah, I've, yeah. I've done it all and um i rocked around santa cruz and i handed out my resumes and this really weird guy was like yeah we need a we need a cocktail waitress and i was like "Ooh, okay i can do that now because i'm i'm 20 i'm 21 right and i can do that and uh he hired me and i started um and the night i started all the bartenders quit Oh, geez. This is a very typical story, right? Sure, right? yeah. That's how you get your first job, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, all the bartenders quit um, in this place. Um, and I, the, the head bartender was like, I guess you're promoted. Want to be a bartender? I was like, yes, so sure. much. Yes, I do, I do, I do. Um, and so she trained me. And so I worked at this place. Um, and then I would work. So I would work mornings at another place. And then I would, so I'd work like six to four and then four to two. Uh-huh. All for a year. Yeah, it was so aggressive. I slept. I would sleep like five hours. I lived off of Jamba Juice. Best best time to do that in your life, though, right? Was the only, point, and yeah. I felt fine. Yeah. Everyone else was like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "I'm great. I'm great. I'm just like living life. I love this." And uh, and then after a year of doing that, I moved to LA. And getting a job in LA is much more difficult. Yeah. And so I ended up actually working in like office admin stuff. I worked um, worked in like fashion. Really. The, so awful. the absence of your kind of roots in a sense. Oh, right? it was awful. It was so awful. But it was connections from Esalen that got me this job. And, oh, and I'm very helpful. I'm like, yeah. I'm very helpful. Like if, if everything goes wrong in this life, like I can be, I will be someone's excellent assistant. Yeah. And so um, I feel like I'm everyone's assistant anyway. So I, I moved, so I moved to LA and then I was looking for a restaurant job. It's very, in LA, it's like, you can be a hostess for two years and then we'll move you up because it's uh, so competitive. Yeah. They just can be like that. Right. And if you're not keyed into the community, it's really, really tough. So I um, went from, uh, I got a job and then I got like this, ten- whatever. Anyway, I ended up serving tables at a eventually like fought, hard fought because I speak French, which is a whole thing. So my dad, uh, that's a whole nother story. Oh, there's Marquis, right? Oh my God. Well, okay, but I'm fake. It's a total, oh, good, it's, I'm good. faux Francaise. So like, am I, yeah. So, so just to backpedal, when I was a kid, my parents split up. Um, my dad married a French woman and moved to France right at that moment where you choose what language you speak in middle school. Yeah. Like in California, uh-huh. you choose in seventh grade. And so I chose French because I figured I have this whole new French family. I'm going to learn how to speak French. So I took French all through middle school, high school, and college. And I had a French stepmom. And I would go to France every year. So, so perfect. It was perfect. I mean, yeah. it it, the, the small coincidences that happened in my life that led to the thing, it, it's so crazy but I've ended up basically only working on French brands until now. 
That's incredible. Because I would get yeah. these jobs because I spoke French, or mostly. I'm like, I didn't realize yeah. that. Because yeah. I was like, well, there's some absinthe in there, some Pernod. Pernod and then Grand right? Marnier. And that was this jump from Pernod to Marnier that made sense. Because it was like, why would you work on an absinthe and then go work on this thing? Yeah. But they're both French. And they're both classic French brands. And oh. I sort of have this classic French name and this classic French history. And sure. I have all this. I've been going to France every year since I was 11 years old. And oh, that makes perfect sense. My second then. home. My family's French. Um, so I got this job serving caviar. I'm also vegetarian. Oh, so I'm serving caviar in a caviar restaurant. And like, it was Is not that, like skill gut wrenching a little bit to, to like have to do that. I would imagine it tasted like something else. So, so as a vegetarian, as a light, I raised, raised vegetarian. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have a judgment really. Right. Like I can't, otherwise I wouldn't have friends. Um, <laughs> so you just sort of like <laughs> deal with it. Um, and I, I would just imagine that the caviar tasted like something else. Okay. Um, and we predominantly sold like sus- like, quote, like sustainable, right. like savruga, like from the Delta. It wasn't, you know, I mean, yeah, it's beautiful yeah. caviar, but it, it was mostly sustainable. Um, and so I was doing that and I, one of my regulars was like, girl, you are so talented. I run, um, do, you, do you ever want to be a bartender? I was like, well, I would love to be a bartender, but I, it's impossible to get a job. And she's like, I run a bartending school. Oh, man. So I went to bartending school. Ah. I went to like the American Bartending Academy where you make, you learn to, so they play the radio full blast top 40. Uh-huh. Um, you sit, it's a week-long program and you sit and you learn recipes. You memorize them. Um, recipes you will never make in your whole career. Of course not. Uh, ever. Um, and you make <laughs> it with colored water. So you can see the... the- the pores well, also there. because like the drinks you're making include colored yeah, products, yeah. right? So it's like it's like <laughs> purple and blue and green and brown um, because you're not using real alcohol. So you never once during bartending school these bartending schools, which is why I'm sort of like an at deep advocate against them. But yeah. also I credit my whole career with it, so I can't like totally hate on it. Um, but because I went to that bartending school, it happened. She's like, I'm going to put you in Andrew's class, and a- Andrew teaches like the Beverly Hills style oh, of bartending. Geez. He teaches real cocktails. And I was like, great, that sounds really interesting. I'd love to do that. Cause I was just hustling. Like I just wanted to like make money and mm. make the best and also do the best job. Like I always want to do the best job. Well, yeah, yeah. You want to do yeah. those things well. Right. So I, um, so this guy, Andrew is a, like, he's in, like, he's insane. Like he's so talented, but he's so, you know, people that are just sort of like fixate on things and sure. they just like, right. So the thing he chose was cocktails. He was a chef and he found cocktails and he got like so into the history of it and so into, so he would teach this class and then he'd be like, by the way, I also teach a real cocktail class in my home, oh my like gosh. in my bar. And so you I signed up for that class and it was like 300 bucks and it's like a week long and you go and he has like a full pre-prohibition set up. It was the first time I'd seen this. Wow. I didn't know what any of this was, right? And I... um and he's teaching these recipes. So he takes you from grog, from like the first. Just like some basic rudimentary thing. Yeah, to- he takes you from like heated, like the very beginning, right? In Into basically like the last word. So you travel through over the week, you learn all the different styles and the way he teaches them makes you able to make any drink because you learn how to break down and categorize drinks. So it's not by recipe, it's by style and family. Yeah. Um, and you learn the why of things. Why is it? So he's incredibly dogmatic. I am not. So I took that class. I understand it. I can speak that. I can talk about the, the I can talk about like a dark and stormy being a charged grog. Like right, I can talk right. about that, 
but I'm going to... Does that interest you, though? I'm going to say it's a highball. No, it doesn't. I mean, there's moments where I think that we should call a thing what it is. So, like, I'm really careful. I call things mixed drinks. I call it a drink. I don't call it a cocktail, personally, unless it's a cocktail. I see. Um, In our published material, we often just call it cocktails because everyone else calls it cocktails. But, you know, I try and be careful because I think that we should elevate things and we should be smart and we should be accurate in the way we describe things. So, um, I really try not... I mean... I'm sure someone will find some example of me doing the wrong thing, but I really try and stay consistent to honor those traditions of those yeah. classic drinks. Um, it's so the yeah. art. I mean, it's paying homage to the art itself, right? Yeah, and it's like, why are we doing it if we're not doing it right? right. Like, why not? Why? Why would you go off a two ounce? Like, like I, you know, like there's a two ounce build for a reason. Like, right. there's you know, there's a, this many dashes of bitters for a reason. Like, why are you making a five ounce martini? Like, yeah. you shouldn't. That's just not. What, I think you should walk before you run. So That's you should right. learn the building blocks. And once you know the building blocks, then you can go and be improvisational. But I think what that happened was most people, or a lot of people, especially my, because I'm like the second generation of that community, mm-hmm. didn't get those building blocks. And so a lot of people just start putting 15 ingredients in a cocktail. And for me, like the perfect thing is a daiquiri. Yeah. It's Three. a margarita. Yeah. Like, that's totally. Per- perfect. Three, every, Three, four. The trilogy of flavor. Every band, like every classic, besides the Beatles, is three. Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Three, Nirvana, yeah. So yeah, so I learned all that and then I started bartending. I just full on BS my way into like a head bartender job at like a tiny restaurant. It was great. Um, and then I moved up to like a more cocktail bar and then I really fell in love with the community and I loved, I just saw this world where I could be a part of it and where people wanted me to be in it and mm-hmm. wanted me there and were interested and wanted to, like you show up to an audition and there's I just don't care. five women who look just like me like all of us with brown hair, I had bangs, like brown hair bangs, like with our little photos. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm the fattest one and I weigh 125 pounds at the time. And, uh, right. So I'm, and I'm like the biggest one and they're all, they all have like these huge resumes and I've done like one YouTube thing. And, um, and, uh, and then I walked into the cocktail scene and they were just like, welcome. Hi, what are you, what are you doing? Who, where do you work? Arms we'll come wide visit open. You. Like, yeah. we'll come see you. What are you making? What are you working? Cause it was, it was still very much new. We didn't have this yet. Um, and I saw an opportunity and I was, I was not loving LA. I was having a hard time and I didn't like serving people who were driving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and my, my best friend at the time lived in New York and I, I was like, I need to get out of LA. I need to try something new. Um, there was a bunch of stuff going on personally yeah. too. That was like, I realized that the life as a performer that I wanted wasn't going to happen for a bunch of reasons. Cause it wasn't really grounded in reality. So I needed to like make choices to, to help myself. And she said, move to New York. So I moved to New York planning to stay for two years. I've been there for seven years. That's, and I moved to New York and it was like, found welcome it. to New York. You want some friends? Here's some friends. You want an apartment? <laughs> Here's a rent control apartment. You want to, you want to, you want to like, I mean, everything I wanted. They're like, you yeah. want to, you want to do cool stuff? Here's cool stuff. You want some money? Here's some money. Like everything just, Fell I mean, place, perhaps. my second night, my, my third night out in New York City, I went to a bar. I was invited by Richie Bocato um, via email from someone else. Um, and I sat down at the bar next to Willie Shine was bartending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, hey, talk to this guy. And it was Simon Ford. Oh, yeah. And Simon Ford became my first friend in New York City. That's and, crazy. And this whole bar community, like, picked me up and just, like, carried me. Yeah. I mean, I never felt so welcomed and wanted. Which means 
that it is the perfect extension for you to pay it forward to the people that are up and coming, right? A hundred percent. So like, yeah, as we, I mean, if, if I meet anyone who's like, I want to do what you do, I'm like, here's, here's what I do. Here's how I got here. I've like, got a deck for let you. Me show you. <laughs> <laughs> let me give you advice and let me talk to you about why you want to do it because, you know, here's, here's, and my advice always to people wanting to do anything is yeah. just go do it. So oh, I, yeah, just do it. I started, so I was a bartender. I was, I was bartending in New York. I was working at a bunch of like hotel, fancy hotel bars and stuff. And mm. I really loved our community. I just started throwing parties. So I would just like not sponsor, like no one does this. I don't, I'm like, guys, just do this. Like yeah. I would throw, I, you know, I was like, we're going to have a party with no pants. So we bartended no, no pants, pants party. That no was like party. the original name of the podcast. No pants party. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no yeah. pants. Podcast. <laughs> and then, you know, I said, let's do, um, let's do a running of the bulls. Cause Ivy mix was sad. She was missing running of the bulls. And I was like, mm. let's just, let's just throw, a, I didn't even know her that well at the time. Uh, I was like, let's just throw running of the bulls in New York city. And so we had people dress up like bulls and people dress up like Spaniards. And we like ran through the streets. Right. And there's no brand attached. So no one's upset or scared. Right. Um, and then we did like I called it reckless brunch. We would like do brunch on a Monday. So you're being a bold marketeer at the time and not I, even yes, realizing that that's what it is. But I was being a performer. I was just throwing parties because I thought it was fun. Like right. I thought it was fun to. All I want to do is like make cool stuff happen. Right. That's all I want. So like the fact that I have a job that lets me do that is really convenient because I mean I would do it anyway. Yeah. I would be doing this. Getting paid for people, the thing you love is kind of cool. It's really cool. Yeah. And I mean, I also do a lot of stuff, I, you know, that is not necessarily in that wheelhouse. Like I do a lot of, you know, admin and paperwork and, yeah. and communication stuff. But that piece of it, like as my boss always makes fun of me, she's like, you and your construction paper. Because like, I just want to make stuff yeah. for people. And I want to make stuff that is interesting to me. And so. Feels like the role allows you to do that. Well, I make the route, the role allow me. I think, and that's what's cool about these jobs is you can, if you're clear about what you want, you can have it. Yeah. Um, but you can also not have the job and do the thing you want to do too. Like nothing's holding anyone back. Mm. And I, it's so interesting. I see so many people who, they're, they're, they're the only thing holding themselves back. They're the only piece of the, of the puzzle that is not Absolutely. open and willing yeah. to let them do it. And, you know, it's much larger conversation, which I hope we can do this again, but talking about fear, talking about love and the kind of rejection or the acceptance of both those things, mm-hmm. that really empowers you to be able to do things. Just stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. Or find out what you're afraid of. Like, go do it. Yeah. Have the worst thing happen. It's not that bad. Yeah. Like, they'll say no, you know, or like, sh- no but one it won't shows kill up. You. No one will- you won't die. I constantly think no one's going to show up to my party. I constantly, and I'm like, you know what? If no one shows up, it's going to be fine. Yeah. It's fine. fine. It's totally going to be fine. Well, so, so you've yeah. got, this is an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. You guys are heading over to Haymaker. I think you're going to visit some friends, some syrup mm-hmm. makers, the Library Co. guys. I think yeah. that's what's going on. These guys make some great syrups. But I've got two questions left for you. Okay. Um, one. This time flew by. Yeah, it really does. That's a yeah, great yeah. piece of it, right? Yeah. I have no idea how you will answer this question. This is why I'm, I'm really okay. excited to ask you. I mean, you are mentioned. in any bar, your favorite bar in the world. Okay. And you're Ooh. drinking whatever you want. Let's just say wild turkey, bourbon, one on one, which I yeah, just happen to love. Sure, I love it. And you can have a conversation with anybody living. Oh God, I hate or this deceased. question. Oh, so stressful. It is, but oh, this question is about who you are just right now in this moment. It doesn't have to be this culmination, right? Who's on your mind these days? You know, who would you like to sit down and chat with? Oh my God, that's such a hard question. Um, uh. There's this incredible writer um, named Beryl Markham, mm. 
And she was a contemporary of Ernest Hemingway, and she only ever wrote one book. Um, but she was one of the first female aviators in Africa uh-huh. around the 20s. So she raised championship racehorses, and then that wasn't enough of like a high for her. Mm-hmm. So she became a pilot. Um, and she was one of the first people to fly from Africa to England, and she's had like incredible adventures. And then she wrote it down in this all down this book called West with the Night, which is my favorite book. I read it, I reread it, I try and reread it every year. And uh, her writing is so beautiful. Wow. Um, and I think, and I also feel like she could probably like put back a few, sure. like uh, out of As Africa. As all good writers can. Out of Africa is a little bit based on her story. Oh no, a little kidding. bit, like a little oh, bit, okay. yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so I would. I would uh, probably have a drink with her. It's not bad. I'm mean, see now. I'm gonna go back and research her. Oh, she's which amazing. Is killer. That first chapter, you're just like you can't breathe. It's so can't good. Breathe. Amazing. It's well, so the last piece, then you you're in town. One, the Aperol Spritz is the drink of Boston now, apparently, which is Yay! awesome. Yay! It just came Spritz. out. Yeah, Aperol right. Spritz. Yeah. It's easy to drink. You yeah. can drink quite a few of them, and it's sure. quite refreshing. Mm-hmm. You get some other things to do. Obviously, mm-hmm. go visit all the great people. But yeah. you're in town. Was it? Ultimately, for the Espelon, the okay. So, do you want me to make my plugs? Yeah, let's okay. plug this thing. Let's call so, it for what it is. Let's okay. I'll make my plugs. I'll make my plugs. Uh, so, we're doing a few things. So, one, I'm in town to recruit for Espelon Cocktail Fest, uh, okay. which is a national program. We're doing 14 cities across the country, plus a nationals. So, we yeah. have 15 events all year. Um, so, I'm basically on tour for the next three months, promoting, recruiting, and hosting these events, um, which is like. My dream come true, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah totally. it's like, yeah, as a performer, I get to like run around on stage with a microphone yeah. and a sparkly dress, and it's great. Um, so we want to recruit bartenders to participate in Espelon cocktail fights. Um, Austin, Carly, when's Austin going to be? September 18th? Yeah, so the, the fights are set up uh, September 18th. Entries are due August 21st. Yeah. People can sign up at us at cocktailfights.teamespelone.com. Spell it right because I've yeah. done it wrong yeah, and that's not don't good. like what don't you see. I want to see that. Um, so, yeah. So, the idea behind that that program is Espelone is sort of wild and fun. Yeah. We're not looking for America's next craft cocktail like like classic. Mm. You know, some cocktail, it, it's not a quiet room. It's loud. It's messy. It's a cross between like a cocktail competition and WWE. It's Amazing. madness. It's so fun. So we're looking for people to create a drink and a persona and then mm-hmm. make their drink in their persona. Um, so that's been a lot of fun and we're recruiting for that right now um, and to enter and then also just to come and hang out and hang say out howdy Austin. to me. Um, and then I'm also recruiting for uh, Behind the Barrel. So Behind the Barrel is a national program. Last year we did 45 people. We hosted 45 people at the Wild Turkey Distillery. Mm-hmm. And basically the idea is you go like, behind the barrel yeah. and you spend two days at the distillery you camp out you go glamping so there's like these beautiful tents um and you hang out with jimmy and eddie and bruce so um, for cool. two days and it's like you get to dis- explore the distillery you get to um you get to talk to jimmy you get to wander around the rick house you get to do private tastings and you get to shoot skeet get to have meals with them barbecue it's it's really fun so we're doing instead of 45 we're doing 120 people this year so we're doing wow. four different sessions for different regions so it's a really good opportunity for bartenders who want to learn more about whiskey and bourbon and rye um but also who want to just connect and meet other bartenders and meet people in the community Network. that's amazing yeah so that's at btb wild 
turkey or wild turkey BTB. I'll figure, no, we'll we can post that. It's fine. Yeah, it's I'm no big deal. Out of that. But, but uh, just yeah. to be afforded the chance to potentially talk and drink bourbon, bourbon with three generations. Oh my god! I don't get to go because I'm doing something else, and I'm so bummed I'm missing it. Oh, I'm like heartbroken I'm missing it. I can absolutely wear that dress, not well, <laughs> but I'm willing to do whatever waxing it or shaving it, it takes, yeah. just so you can have someone to stand there. You can just be, yeah, that's fine. You can. Just I, I'll me. do it. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll do what it takes. Yeah. Wait, to go to Wild Turkey or host my other thing? No, to go to Wild Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that is so generous of you to like cover no, for me. Selfish. Oh, I can't this is very <laughs> selfish. This is all about what I want to do, obviously. right? No, I mean, they'll, they'll be in great hands. I won't be there, but uh, Bruce Russell, who obviously is the next generation yeah. of the Russell family, he'll be there to host. And um, so, yeah, so and it's open to any working bartender. So we're partnering with USBG and Tales of the Cocktail. It's amazing. It's going to be so fun. So I would love for everyone to sign up for that. I will make sure to spread the word because that really particularly interests me. And if I have to, again, do something mm-hmm. seedy, perhaps, just to go, I'll go. Well, I mean, we can maybe just figure out if we can find a way to get you There's on that, that trip. Too. It does sound like you're pretty cool and people uh, like your I'm podcast. All right. and... I'm all right, guy, sometimes. Yeah. And I certainly like wild turkey. But... So, okay, but so uh, you have asked me so many questions. I want, Can I ask you? Like, you can. So I don't want to interfere with y'all's schedule. You can ask yeah, me one go. question. I wanted to see like who the most interesting person you've interviewed recently has been. Oh, besides man. Me. Well, so... Let's keep Obviously. let's keep everybody listening in suspense, and I'll tell you. Okay. Off mic. Off mic. Okay. Yeah. How about that? Know. That's what you get, people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's gonna get. It's been really brilliant chatting with you. Oh, good. Emily's Marquis, and I can't thank you guys at Campari oh enough thank for you. making this stuff happen, and Carly being such a great. Carly, here. isn't Carly the best? She is pretty much the best. We love you, Carly. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Godspeed thank on the rest of these three much. months of travel. Well, there we have it, the great and Louise Marquis, National Brand Ambassador, Portfolio Ambassador for Campari. We sat down and chatted here just recently. Again, she was in town for the Espelon Cocktail Fights and talking about Wild Turkeys Beyond the Barrel Program. I think that I want to just put on a fake mustache and create a pseudonym and go down there as a bartender anyway, just so I can learn the tricks in the trade and drink with three generations of the Russells family. Kind of an amazing program, and I hope you guys got all of your submissions in before the deadline just recently. And thank you so much for chatting with me and Louise. It's great getting to talk to, in a way, a fellow Californian talking about life, talking about learning. And I hope we get to see each other again soon and talk even more about musicals. And thank you for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how many times you're thinking, man, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is a wonderful show, or... How Tina Fey ages better every year. Please keep dancing.